Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Gemma Mitchell? First, I'll look at the background of this case. I'll move to the timeline of the crime and offer my analysis. Gemma Mitchell was born in Australia on July 22, 1984. Her mother worked for the Foreign and Commonwealth Office of the United Kingdom. Gemma's parents divorced, and she moved to the United Kingdom with her mother and sister. In 2004, she studied human sciences at King's College London, One of the areas she studied was dissection of the human body. She performed so well in this area, she even won a prize for it. Gemma continued her studies at the British School of Osteopathy. She returned to Australia and started working as an osteopath. In 2015, Gemma moved to the United Kingdom and lived in a house in northwest London with her mother and sister. The house had been in the family for several generations. It was in bad shape, but still worth four million pounds. Gemma was not allowed to practice as an osteopath in Britain. She remained unemployed. It appears as though she was attempting to renovate the family house. Specifically, she wanted to add an upper floor to it. Gemma and her mother hired two contractors. One of them allegedly cheated them out of 230,000 pounds. The work on the house was only partially done. The house did not have a roof, which probably meant Gemma and her mother did not look forward to the rain. On top of this, Gemma and her sister did not get along too well. In 2016, Gemma was convicted of breaching a non-molestation order. It sounds like she was harassing her sister and brother-in-law. Sometime around August 2020, when Gemma was at church, she met a woman named Mi Kuen Chong, who went by the name Deborah. Deborah was originally from Malaysia and had lived in London for about 30 years. She was married at one point, but her husband died. Deborah lived in a house in North London, and her estate was worth about 700,000 pounds. Deborah had been diagnosed with schizophrenia. She was prescribed psychotropic medication, including antipsychotics, but they did not completely resolve her symptoms. 
Deborah had paranoid and erotomanic delusions. For example, she believed that Charles III, back when he was Prince Charles, was communicating with her through videos on social media. She thought that they were engaging in a romantic relationship. Deborah would send letters to both Charles and then Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Deborah was treated by a community mental health team designed to address celebrity stalking. Perhaps part of the therapy was teaching Deborah to set her standards higher than Charles or Boris Johnson. Over time, Deborah came to believe that her schizophrenia could be treated by Gemma using spiritual healing. Other than being identified as a potential anti schizophrenia spiritual guru, Gemma had other problems, namely, her house was still not finished. This became a topic of discussion between Gemma and Deborah. At some point, Deborah offered to supply Gemma with 200,000 pounds, which was to be used to repair the house. Later, Deborah changed her mind about funding the repairs and encouraged Gemma to sell the house. She told her that she could use the proceeds of the sale to enjoy life. She probably pointed out that four million pounds was a lot of money. It would appear as though Gemma believed herself to be good at giving advice, but she wasn't a big fan of receiving it. Gemma was angry at Deborah for withdrawing the offer and for suggesting that she should sell the house. Now moving to the timeline of the crime. On June 11, 2021, Gemma made her way to Deborah's house in North London, arriving just after 8 a.m. She had a large blue suitcase in her possession and did not appear to have any problems moving it, like it was empty or almost empty. According to the police, after entering Deborah's house, Gemma murdered 67-year-old Deborah and put her body in that suitcase. Video surveillance captured Gemma leaving Deborah's house with the suitcase at about 1.13 p.m. She was also carrying a small bag with her. Gemma walked on the streets of London for at least two hours with the suitcase and the small bag. She then climbed into a taxi and made her way to her residence. Gemma sent a message to somebody that rented from Deborah, saying that Deborah was somewhere close to the ocean spending time with her family. The renter reported Deborah as missing. According to the police, on June 26, 2021, Gemma rented a Volvo and drove over 200 miles to the coastal town of Salcombe. She dumped Deborah's body in the woods near Bennett Road. People on vacation found the body the next day, June 27. Deborah's head was missing from her body. The police found it four days later, about 30 feet away. An autopsy revealed that Deborah had a fractured skull, but her cause of death could not be determined. On July 6, 2021, Gemma was arrested and charged with murder. She pleaded not guilty. Her trial was held in October 2022. Gemma did not testify on her own behalf. She was convicted of murder on October 27. After her conviction, it was announced that the sentencing phase of the trial would be televised. This was the first time in history a convicted murderer in the UK was sentenced on live television. On October 28, Gemma's sentencing took place. The judge talked about the mitigating and aggravating factors in this case. The only mitigating factor was the judge considered Gemma to be a woman of previous good character. As far as the aggravating factors, the murder was premeditated, 
her victim was vulnerable mentally and physically, and Gemma mutilated the body. The judge said that Gemma was extremely devious and showed absolutely no remorse. He was shocked by the enormity of the crime, especially considering Gemma's apparent religious devotion. Again, she met Deborah in church. The judge noted that Deborah was Gemma's friend and had shown her great kindness. The judge sentenced Gemma to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 34 years. Gemma will be eligible for parole on July 10, 2055. This is 12 days before she will turn 71. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. Now moving to my analysis. Gemma Mitchell maintains her innocence. Her mother has also said that Gemma was not responsible for the murder. This brings me to the question, was Gemma Mitchell actually guilty of murder? Let's take a look at the evidence both for and against the idea that she was guilty, starting with the inculpatory factors. Deborah had backed out of an arrangement to fund repairs on Gemma's family home. On June 11, 2021, the day Deborah disappeared, Gemma was seen arriving at Deborah's house with a blue suitcase that appeared to be empty, or almost empty. A few hours later, she left with the same suitcase. It was bulkier and appeared to be heavier based on how difficult it was to move. The blue suitcase seen in the video was later recovered from the roof of a shed owned by one of Gemma's neighbors. In the suitcase pocket, there was a tea towel with blood on it. On the evening of June 11, Gemma went to a hospital in central London and was treated for a broken finger. She claimed that she sustained the injury by closing a car door on her finger. However, on video surveillance, it is clear that Gemma was already injured when she left Deborah's house. Gemma rented a Volvo and was captured on video lifting a suitcase into it. She appeared to be struggling, like the suitcase was heavy. Gemma drove the Volvo to Salcombe, where Deborah's body was found. The tire of the Volvo failed during that trip. Gemma pulled into a gas station to call for help. A worker from a British motoring association arrived and had an unusual encounter with Gemma. He said that the car had an old, musty smell. Gemma appeared to be confused, and she wanted to keep the flat tire. As a side note, I find it curious that Gemma was able to murder a woman, mutilate her, and transport her body, but she didn't want to change a flat tire. How unpleasant did she think that changing a tire would be? A witness later spotted Gemma's rented vehicle 
about 150 feet from where Deborah's body was found. Deborah's body had been decapitated. Gemma had special training in cutting human bodies. By this point, I bet she was wishing she had refrained from bragging about that award for dissecting skill. When the police searched Gemma's residence, they found the small bag that Gemma had been seen carrying from Deborah's house. The bag was Deborah's property, and it contained a number of items, including Deborah's passport, driver's license, and credit cards. The police found that Gemma had forged a will which left 95% of Deborah's estate to her, with the other 5% going to Gemma's mother. One of the forged witness signatures was a neighbor of Gemma's who had died a few months before Deborah's murder. Moving to the exculpatory factors, there were no witnesses to the murder, no video. There was no evidence of any type of physical altercation at Deborah's house. There was no DNA from Deborah in the blue suitcase, despite there being a tea towel with blood on it in the pocket. When considering the evidence, do I think that Gemma was guilty? Yes. I think she was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. There is really no doubt at all. Moving to the next question, how would I conceptualize this case? This is just a theory, my opinion. Gemma had an interest in osteopathy, which is a controversial area of study. Although the field is under government regulation in many countries, when it was founded in the late 1800s, it was essentially pseudoscience. The idea behind osteopathic medicine was that manipulating the skeleton and muscles would cure diseases. Research has disproven those claims, but the field lived on in other ways. People who train in osteopathy learn many legitimate and valid medical teachings, but they also take extra courses in pseudoscientific practices. Some of the people who are attracted to this field have a commitment to alternative and unproven therapies. Osteopathy allows a practitioner to be in a regulated field that can genuinely help people, but it also scratches the itch of New Age beliefs. It's kind of like a way to blend medicine and spirituality. Not everyone who is interested in osteopathy buys into the pseudoscientific side of it, but many people do. I think that Gemma was in this group. She liked the idea of curing people through spiritual means. This brings me to her relationship with Deborah. Plagued by a number of delusional beliefs, Deborah was highly vulnerable to Gemma's enthusiasm for New Age beliefs and alternative treatments. Deborah wanted to believe that she could recover from schizophrenia and her physical problems. Gemma was Deborah's ticket to mental and physical health, which is why she agreed to financially support the renovation of the Mitchell family house. Over time, Deborah started to realize that Gemma was not being rational. For example, Deborah thought that Gemma was hoarding items in the Mitchell family house. This led to Deborah backing away from the agreement. A normal response to this would have been to move on with one's life, but Gemma's commitment to nonsense carried over into other decision making processes. She came up with an obvious and poorly conceived homicidal plan she believed would be successful. Just because somebody is committed to unproven therapies doesn't mean that they have psychopathic tendencies. These constructs are unrelated. People like this may be misguided, but they are typically altruistic. Gemma was an exception. 
She was cold, callous, sadistic, and extremely oriented toward financial gain. Maybe she used the experience of being cheated by the contractor to justify her actions, but either way, she believed that she could simply take what Deborah had. Deborah was no longer a person to Gemma, rather just an object. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. The type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. She stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S.